0: Welcome back to the Science of Feeding the World podcast. This is episode two. We spoke to Dr. Dana McGregor about Weeds, Weeds Molecular Biology, Molecular Biology and Biology.
1: Would you like to say more words about Weeds, Biology and Molecular Biology?
0: No, no, I, don't, I want don't want to. I think Dana's got plenty of words about that. Uh, it was so interesting, my brain started melting and slipped yeah. out of my nose and my ears and on my shirt. <laughs> and I had, It was my shirt, I had to get it dry cleaned, it cost me a lot of money. I'm very annoyed, so please enjoy this episode with Alex, Dana McRae. you don't
1: own any shirts. <laughs> so.
0: You are listening to... It's the Science of Feeding
2: the World! It's the duvet man. Uh, On that note, so welcome to another episode of Science of Feeding the World with me, Gary Froon. I'm Hannah McGrath. Alex Dye. And today we're talking to weed molecular biologist and virus tamer, Dana McGregor. Hello, Dana. Uh, Our first question is, uh, are we losing the fight against... Resistance.
3: Ooh. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: well, uh, for my own job, I'd like to say yes. But um, actually, I think it's not really a fight because in a fight, somebody always wins, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have something like resistance that's always changing and that's always evolving and we're always coming up with some new thing to try and get to resistance and get over resistance, it's not really a fight. It's kind of a race. Mm-hmm. Um and although the endpoint isn't really well defined, eventually there'll be a there'll be a finish line. So I think maybe not a fight. Okay. But how's that? Okay, a
2: race, yeah. yeah. So kind of as in the evolutionary arms race that we hear about. That yeah. kind of a race?
3: Uh-huh. Yeah. And there, yeah, there this we is, go. This is a thing. Come on. <laughs> and there's always that um that the red queen hypothesis always comes in Whoa. where the
0: red queen oh. hypothesis. Yes. Like, it? the
3: red queen hypothesis so this goes back to Alice in Wonderland Alice in Wonderland thank you very much mm. uh, I was joking
0: but th- I was bang on the moon <laughs> yes it
3: is in fact so can red- I just say I did
1: right I did know that but because it's a podcast for people who haven't done biology degrees I thought we'd let Dana answer oh thank you yeah
3: that's great <clears> yeah, well, sometimes well.
1: we will ask questions we know the
3: answer Talk to know it all Alex just pretend you don't know right can we just like put the my rest microphone of us. off
0: just, I'm just going to
3: like this. <laughs> just for a few seconds. It's okay. You can get the echo through over here. Tell us more about the Red Queen um, hypothesis. The Red Queen hypothesis. So in Alice in Wonderland, um, Alice goes to the land that's ruled by the Red Queen, who is the Queen of Hearts. And she's um, at some point, I can't, I probably should have like looked at this before I started talking about it. But the long, <laughs> the, 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 the end of the story is that in the Red Queen hypothesis, um, everybody is running and they're running as fast as they can because the thing that they're running on is turning. And as a consequence, you have to run as fast as you can just to stand still. So the idea is that everything is always changing. Everything Mm. is always moving and you're, you're kind of working as hard as you possibly can just to stay where you are and not die. So it often comes in things like evolutionary arms races. So, um, you know, viruses against uh, against um, whatever they're infecting or pathogens against mm. hosts. So, yeah, the, the red queen hypothesis. That's interesting.
2: So we're just kind of fighting. We're just racing to, to stay where we are, to Run stay still, to just still. trying still. not to let things get any worse, yeah, but not necessarily fact. improving them. Cool.
1: So can I ask then, um, what do you mean? We kind of asked, where, are we losing the fight against resistance? What mm-hmm. is resistance? And what do you care about? Kind of what organism
3: do you care about resistance in? Ah. Um I should preface this by saying uh I apologize to all the farmers of the world because I want blackgrass to win. I think it is such a cool plant. <laughs> Hang on, so, so what's blackgrass?
0: Controversial. Yeah.
3: I know, and I'm gonna get into trouble, and I have gotten into trouble for saying this before. So blackgrass is a weed that grows in arable fields. It's usually in winter wheat or winter barley. Um, And it's predominantly in Western Europe, although it does grow all over the world as sort of a normal plant. It's only a weed because it's growing in our fields and our crops. Um, But blackgrass, Alloparcursus myricides, is a, I had to practice that one. Uh, So blackgrass is um, basically, it's a grass that grows in grass crops and it grows in winter grass crops.
2: So one of the things we're we're writing, uh, there's a new paper coming out. On next week uh, but by the time this podcast comes comes out the embargo will be lifted and <laughs> it won't matter them talking about it um, that says that the the kind of economic cost of this in the moment is about 400 million pounds per year yes in the UK and the the amount of wheat is enough to make a, over a billion loaves of bread mm-hmm. lost to to blackgrass to resistant blackgrass not just blackgrass that he's getting dealt with but just resistant blackgrass
1: so uh, kind of on that mm. point uh, how then how does blackgrass take Away wheat, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's probably yeah. a really terrible phrasing of it. But why does yeah, um, blackgrass impact on a farmer's yeah.
3: profit? Um, part of the problem about having blackgrass in your field is that um, there's only so much space that you're giving the plants, right? So if you have a plant in that space, it is occupied. And if you have wheat in that space, it is good. And if you have blackgrass in this space, it is bad. Um, and it is bad because we can't eat blackgrass. Um, so maybe that should be my next project. I should make it tasty. But um, I mean, the, the reason that blackgrass takes away wheat is because um, essentially it's it's a competitive process. So you give X amount of nitrogen, and if um, in the means of fertilizers or from the soil or whatever, and if fifty percent of that is taken up by the blackgrass, there's only fifty percent left to be taken up by the wheat. Likewise, space, sunlight. Um, oxygen, all the things that plants need, they're competing for each other. And plants in the wild, in the real world, um are really good at competing with each other. So they do things like shade each other out. They have um you know they have chemical competitions between each other. They create giant leaves that shade underneath or they um you know they actively kill each other by binding the bindweed it wraps around the tree and kills it and therefore it takes over, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's basically a a direct competition between the weed and the and the wheat so if you have more weeds if less wheat
2: so presumably blackgrass isn't the only weed farmers have to deal with is is blackgrass more notorious like better at evolving resistance or um kind of getting mm. at our wheat than other plants other weeds
3: so back um so back in the early 2000s uh and sort of a little bit before that so sometime between 1982 and the early 2000s, Blackgrass was the number nine most problematic weed in the UK. Okay. So basically, people didn't number care nine. about it. it there weren't research projects on there. Oh, no. no, it was around. You knew it was there, but it was kind of, you know, it was just... It was, mm-hmm. just it was a weed, weed in a book. It's it like Snow road. Patrol, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do <laughs> <laughs> you dare.
0: No offense to Snow Patrol.
3: <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to get the Snow Patrol fans. <laughs> Final Straw us. is
0: one of my favorite albums.
3: <laughs> well, so... We, um, blackgrass went from like, <laughs> this, this thing. I'm trying to figure it out if I know no snow patrol, but that's yeah. Um, the blackgrass went from being this weed that was just kind of on the radar, but not really a big deal, to being the number one weed. And really, what happened was it developed resistance to the major ways to the, the major herbicides that you can use on, on weed crops. Mm. Um, so um, the ALS, the ACCAs, all of the major targets mm. were, were, were on. So it went, let's unpack that. Okay.
1: So what, what, what is resistant? What is herbicide resistance in blackgrass? What is it?
3: How does it work? Ah. Where does it begin? So there's kind of two ways that you can think about herbicide resistance. And, um, one is if you imagine that the uh, sort of a locking key mechanism right so you have your your protein that the herbicide targets right so if you imagine that the herbicide must interact with that protein in order for the herbicide to have its function okay so essentially if you think about um, direct contact between herbicide and protein so basically mm-hmm.
1: you you a bit like um you might do in your kind of garden you go out with a bottle of spray you would Squirt spray it. it and then that chemical would then move into the plant cells through the cell wall and then kind of into each individual plant cell and we're talking about the herbicide chemical touching a protein yes in the cell Mm -hmm. inside
3: the cell so if you think about um uh, i like to think about cars and i think about things in that way okay so if you think about imagine that you've got a car and you put a boot on one of the on one of the tires right that tire can no longer turn if and by I,
1: boot, you mean like when the parking
3: warden comes and clamps you, that kind clamp. of thing. Oh, I knew that there was another word. This is the English to English translation
0: problem. Ah. So, you know, that you
3: think thing? a literal like Santa boot.
0: Well, I, no, I was thinking the boot of the car, like the, oh, the, shoot. the trunk, whatever you want to call it. <laughs>
3: I forgot about that part.
0: And I did think that's a strange thing to put on a wheel of a car.
3: No, shoot. Um, yeah, it's called a boot in the States. Um, so, let's imagine that the boot is the herbicide. So it's functionally interacting with the tire, a protein, a component of the plant that allows it to do its thing. So if you've got the boot on the on the tire, even though the rest of the car still functions totally fine, you're not going anywhere because the boot is making sure that that one piece of, of mm-hmm. machinery is no longer working. Okay. So now, if you imagine that you have the same size boot and a bigger tire, okay. So if you increase the size of the tire, the boot no longer fits on the tire, and the boot can't stop the car from functioning. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if that's what would be called a target site resistance change. So I have taken the, the herbicides target protein, the tire, and I've changed it in some way that means that the herbicide the boot no longer interacts with it. And so that's target site resistance. I changed the, per, the protein and it no longer functions.
1: And when we say changing the protein that's happened because of a kind of random mutation that then the, mm. that makes the, that plant with that mutation stronger. And then that, kind of black grass plant with the bigger tire as you were saying then survives in the field longer and makes more seeds and that's how
3: you yeah. get it doesn't even get kind of have to survive evolution. better or make more seeds but if you think about all of your friends and neighbors have just died but you <laughs> you survive mm. it doesn't matter what you do as long as you are surviving and able to create progeny you're good to go so basically if one plant survives then it drops so each black grass plant can create about a And each head has about 100 seeds. So if you think 1,000 new seeds from a single plant, and then that's next year's problem. So that was target site resistance. What is non-target site resistance? So non-target site resistance. Let's take the same analogy of the car and the boot, right? So um, target site resistance is where, yeah, you basically stop one. You change the thing that it's interacting with. Non-target site resistance is sort of a slightly different mechanism. So Hannah was talking about the fact that the herbicide has to go from the spray bottle onto the leaf, into the cell, be able to be taken up into the cell, interact with the protein, and then do something about that, Mm -hmm. right? So there's lots of steps between bottle and killing the plant. Basically, non-target site metabolism-based resistance is everything that's all of that everything that's not a direct change of the actual protein that you were trying to inhibit is non-target site resistance. So it's much more amorphous, but it's also things like um, you can prevent the the herbicide from being taken up. You could change the herbicide. Once it gets into the cell, you can stick on, big bulky groups or groups that make it more hydrophobic hydrophilic you can sequester water it.
1: loving or water hating water mm. loving water hating <laughs>
3: um, you can switch it into vacuoles you can you know you can send it off somewhere else and basically that's so all of that basically mm. that non target site resistance is almost a, like a plant fighting
1: back yeah. in a way that could vary from plant to plant so if you had a field of black grass that was resistant and through non target site resistance could field you know, a field in Hertfordshire would be different to a field in Shropshire in terms of how that, those plants are
3: fighting back. Mm. Not even Shropshire and Harp- Harpenden, but if you had, uh, you know, plants on two sides of the field, because mm. there's so many different ways that it could be happening. Um, and you can, you can combine those so you can have target site resistance and some sort of metabolic resistance all in the same plant. So it becomes that's like super fight mm. back, pretty much. So out of, yeah. out of
2: interest, the protein that gets targeted mm-hmm. uh, in blackgrass is that. What does that protein do? How is it that inhibiting that protein mm. kills blackgrass or not?
3: Yeah, so all of the <coughs> the different mm, there's a lot of different modes of action of herbicides, mm-hmm. and each of them targets something that's really super essential. So things like fatty acid metabolism, um, uh, or creating essential amino acids, that sort of stuff, mm. stuff that without which the plant will not survive. So basically the herbicide comes in and stops some sort of vital process. And the plant goes, ah, um, and you, there's no other way to get around mm. that. Um, one of my favorite ones actually stops chlorophyll biosynthesis. And so the plants go white and die because mm. they can't do photosynthesis, which I think is great. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but these are all things. So basically, if you think about all the ways that the plant must live, mm. stop some of those essential bits. And then mm. that's that's what the herbicides will do. So the targets are actually different. And each herbicide will have its own specific target that it's going down. So um, ACCace is, is... And, and black has
2: evolved resistance against all of them, you'd say, or most of them. Yeah. So we have... The ones that we can use on wheat.
3: Yeah. Yeah. The ones that we can use in wheat. There's lots of ways to kill blackgrass. There's thousands of ways to kill blackgrass. <laughs> Many of them actually hurt the crop too. Mm. So that's your trade off. We have one, one particular type of blackgrass that has seven different modes of action mm. that it's completely resistant to. Um,
1: one last question I had was how did blackgrass become resistant to the common weed killers or herbicides used against hmm. it in the first place?
3: Hmm. How did, I mean, if I could answer how blackgrass became resistant to a whole bunch of herbicides, um, I would probably be very rich because I would be able to then just say, okay, so yeah, this really. is this is how we undo this.
2: So it's not just a case of spraying loads and loads of herbicides, and eventually it's bound to happen.
3: But see, that's what's actually happened, right? Yeah. So that's that's the that's the bit that we know. Mm. But if you want to know actually how. I don't know. There's some gene <laughs> that changed somewhere and something upregulated. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I
1: could, any fool could say if you spray herbicides again and again and again, multiple times, you'll get resistance. But you're trying to actually, like, the difficult bit is figuring out why. And how that blackgrass is resistant?
3: I'm a molecular biologist, <laughs> and therefore, if you ask me how, I will tell you that this protein binds to that bit of DNA, and it is overrepresented with an ATG TGC mm. context, <laughs> which is, uh, you know. And I will tell you, <laughs> I mean, for me, how is a very different question yeah. than than me asking, than for yeah. more, for normal people. Um, mm. But yeah, so I mean, basically, what has happened is for 30 years at least, we have been going out into wheat continuous wheat fields. And we have been doing wonderful experiments to select for very robust, wonderful blackgrass populations. So if you have continuous winter wheat, you always use the same herbicides and you always plant on the same date, harvest on the same date, stuff is going to go, Ooh, I can get around this. And so blackgrass germinates after we've put the crop in, it drops its seeds before we harvest and it becomes resistant to the stuff that we spray on it all the time because only one plant needs to survive. And then that one plant drops a thousand seeds and then a thousand new plants come up next year and the cycle repeats.
1: In many ways, if you were going to design an experiment to figure out how to get a resistant weed, you would probably put something like 3 million hectares or 3 million football pitches of wheat and say to farmers, here's a chemical, off you
3: go, spray it for us. You know, like if you were going to do a really good field trial. (laughs) This is exactly what they would do. Yeah, it's precisely. And not only that, but you would say, okay, fine. Uh, And at the end of every year, Dig it up a tiny bit, but not too much, you know, disturb the ground a tiny bit and then leave everything else where it was yeah. and do it again, do next, it again year. next year. Yeah. Right. So it's it's no surprise that we mm. have herbicide resistant black grass, um, in my opinion, but um, it's because life um, life will find a way to mm. To um, but i mean really it does right yeah and i think yeah. if you if you have some sort of clever plant it's going to find mm. find a way around mm. and 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 use that space that we have also okay. i just want
1: to say that not all weeds are bad
3: really mm. says who
1: I'll let let you say that
3: because I get in trouble for a second.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, from a uh, kind of biodiversity point of view or a wildlife point of view, we know that things like field pansy are really good at supporting bumblebees Mm. and butterflies. The carrot field I was in this summer had loads of field pansy and it was full of small tortoiseshell butterflies. Mm. And...
2: Because aren't things like stinging nettles like very, very good for biodiversity oh, compared absolutely. to lots of other weeds? Right, and Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Great. so we see them now a lot more in kind of public spaces and public parks. The yeah. councils are kind of leaving stinging nettles to grow. Whereas before I go home and I'm like, Mum, leave the stinging nettles in the garden, you'll <laughs> we'll get leave butterflies over. Just leave a don't. patch <laughs> like, of them. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, yeah.
3: and, and weeds are actually really super good for, uh, there's lots that are nitrogen fixers. And so they improve this. Uh, think about mm. clover. Um, as a clover is a major weed in in many places and yet it's Mm. so so good at 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 transferring nitrogen in the air to nitrogen in the soil so this is why um (laughs) you introduced me as a as a weed molecular biologist i'm kind of just a plant person Um. (laughs) (laughs) and we can change that intro if you want (laughs) um, but the thing is i i think plants are really fascinating and i i don't think that there's any bad plants i think there's place there's Plants in places where we don't want them, but there's no bad plant. And this is partly mm, why I get mm. in trouble with the farmers, because I think blackgrass is really clever, right? It's mm. it's if I would love to find a place where people gave me everything I could ever possibly want and looked after my children, that would be fabulous, right? Like yeah, we would yes. all jump at that chance. So why not why not blackgrass? It's <laughs> time for the rapid fire questions.
1: It's time to ask some questions really, really fast. We're now going to ask you a series of rapid-fire questions that will be the greatest test of your intellect, wit, and... uh... Stamina. 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 Patience. (laughs) The best bit will be watching Alex have to pronounce the difficult words.
0: My challenge is quite simply to be able to ask the questions, which sounds simpler than it is. Rapid questions, left or right? Left. Shark or lion? Lion. Favourite dinosaur?
3: Ooh, pterodactyl.
0: Pterodactyl, Mm. yeah, good. Target site or non-target site resistance mechanisms?
3: Non-target site.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coffee or tea? (laughs) Tea. American football or rugby?
3: Oh, that's wicked easy. Rugby.
0: Virus-induced gene silencing or virus-mediated overexpression?
3: Virus-mediated overexpression. Also known as Vox, which is kind of fun.
0: Yeah, V-O-X. Very nice. Snowy winter forest or tropical jungle?
3: Oh, snowy winter forest. Mm.
0: Bacteria or virus? Virus. Thanksgiving or eating strawberries at Wimbledon?
3: Thanksgiving. I
0: didn't write that one. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: you, you've,
1: you've made this worse for yourself. You've left, left it, it to till the last.
0: end. We'll edit this bit out. <laughs> <laughs> Phenoxaprop ethyl mm-hmm. or prosulfocarb? <laughs>
3: Phenoxaprop. Although phenoxprop stinks, by the way, it smells bad. It, it has a solvent in it that actively stinks, and I don't know why, but it lingers, and it's yeah, so yeah, Bye. That's not Do you what, what it uses. Is, is mode know. of
0: action, right? Yeah, well, well. I, I know. I now know a, a shortcut. Phenoxprop yeah. or <laughs> perisulfate. <laughs> last one. What's the last film that made you cry?
3: Ooh, uh, up.
0: Oh
2: god! Oh, don't yeah. mention. That's not allowed to talk about that one.
3: It's, it's every single oh, time. Oh, that yeah.
2: The first Some five kind of minutes of that. First of first that
3: hideous.
2: I watched it the first so time. We, we, we turned it. it off after the first time. It took me about six months to come back and finish so the rest hard. of the film. Like, Once like,
3: you get into it, it's great. like What the hell were they thinking? Yeah, no, I definitely... <laughs> yeah. I've seen about
2: see like three-hour dramas that have not moved me as much as the first ten minutes, that, isn't
0: it?
1: So how are you working on understanding herbicide resistance through using genetic modification Mm -hmm. techniques? Is is that how you say it? Genetic modification (laughs) techniques? I took a lot of wheels, like the comps
3: in my brain were going hard then. There's no easy way to say genetically modifying. Um, and there's, there's things to try and yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I mean, so the thing is that if you, if I could, okay. So I talked about a tire, a car, a car tire, and how we know that if you stop a car tire from rotating, the car no longer functions, right? Mm-hmm. So you know that the car tire is absolutely essential for for car function, right? We don't know what the tire is in blackgrass. We don't know what the central bits are that make blackgrass able to survive and able to outcompete wheat. We don't know the central elements that are able to allow it to survive non-target site resistance mechanisms, right? So, so that's you know the genes and the proteins. We don't we don't really know those very well yet. We don't know what they are, and if we could define them. So if I can define for you that this gene, gene X, is absolutely essential for blackgrass to be able to be resistant to fenoxaprop, or other herbicides, mm-hmm. um, then we can target that, right?
2: Don't, don't we know that? So if you've got a target site mutation, um, you you know then that, that, that you just change it back, right, to what it was. And all of a sudden you don't have that target mutation and it's not resistant. Yeah. yeah. So that's a that right? bit, right? Yeah. yeah? So okay. that's
3: the, those are the things, but all we know about is that this herbicide interacts with that protein. Mm-hmm. And we know that for some of them, there is target site resistance and it's, it's, it's present in about half of the populations that we've looked at. Mm-hmm. It's different percentages in different populations. Um, and we know that it's, we know that it's definitely out there. But if you um, if you map the target the percentage of, of plants that have target site resistance versus the percentage of plants that that survive that herbicide, mm. it's not a one to one correlation. Uh, okay. So there's a huge percentage of the populations that are out there that survive for other reasons.
2: And this is what could be non targets. Okay.
3: That's how we know that non target site mechanism exists. Oh. Um, so basically, there's all the stuff that we know about. Yes, we could. I can go in and I can change a single gene. And change that protein back to what it was in the wild type, and it'll and it'll be resistant again. Um, that would require specific gene editing. It would require me going into the genome and fundamentally changing the genome of that plant. What I can do is that I can change the expression of metabolism genes, right? So I can go in and I can I can manipulate the level of expression for the genes involved in a particular metabolic route.
1: So, what do you mean by uh, metabolic ah. route, like? Because so. I understand like metabolism as when you go to the gym, right? Your metabolism goes
2: <laughs> up. <laughs> so <laughs> I always think of it as it's yeah. the kind of a uh, chemical a metabolic pathways a series of proteins that might break down a chemical so the so alcohol so. dehydrogenase that stops me from being drunk several hours later mm-hmm. if i didn't have that i might be drunk for days off of it'd be glorious but um very, <laughs> is that, very, is that yeah, yeah we're yeah. gonna so, need
3: yeah. that pathway for tonight <laughs> 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 we'll upregulate it later um <laughs> um yes exactly metabolism mm. is basically the way in which you break down a thing mm. a xenobiotic and mm. so if you were to have a kind of
1: Floor in that pathway. If you were to mess that pathway up, mm. it would break. But if you were to improve that pathway and get it kind of that pathway being expressed, you might more... be able to
2: drink forever and never get
1: drunk.
3: Yes.
2: So.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what? Which actually, I'm not quite sure why you would want to. No, <laughs> no. Just drunk. drink water yeah, and yeah. be done with it. But, um, yeah. Okay. So let's go on the pathway of being drunk. Okay. Mm. So let's imagine that um, that blackgrass is drinking now heavily. We'll we'll go. We'll run. <laughs> cool. This is the um,
0: best start to an analogy ever. I
3: like these sorts of analogies. Okay. So so if blackgrass is is a cheap date and it gets drunk after it's one. Getting
0: back to a second sorry
3: <laughs> so um that would be really good so right now let's let's think of of blackgrass back in the good old days uh used to have one pint and that was the end of the mm-hmm. evening it would die and have a hangover and that would be the end so basically um blackgrass after drinking heavily for many 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 years is now able to survive higher and higher levels of 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 the xenobiotic of the meta- of the herbicide of the mm. alcohol Um, so basically there's pathways that get upregulated in your body or in the plant to be able to deal with that. Um, yes. So if we were to artificially go in and be able to, to upregulate those metabolic genes, then blackgrass could drink forever, Mm. but you could also do it the other way. So the farmers would be much more happy if I could go back to reverting it to a cheap date, right? And then, and then it would be a lot better for... For everybody. So yeah, so if you think about metabolism, yes, same sort of thing. You go to the gym, you work out, you increase your metabolic pathways, because your body is saying, Oh, I need more energy. So I'm going to break down more stuff and make more energy. Um, so
1: going back to the black thing, you were saying that yeah. there's there's kind of two approaches one way you increase the expression and it the black breast can <laughs> i love this drink forever this is now <laughs> going to be how i understand it and then there's also the one where you could kind of take it away which do you look at do you look at the increasing expression or the the taking uh, the pathway away
3: i'll switch over to super science speak now mm. oh, right yeah. so um those two pathways are, are sort of thought about as necessity and sufficiency mm. right so Uh, the alcohol dehydrogenase is necessary for you to not have a hangover the next day. Mm. And if you had more of it, it would be sufficient to decrease your ability to to have that less of a hangover. Okay, VIGS, so virus-induced gene silencing, basically what I'm doing is taking and reducing the amount of one mRNA, which means that there's less protein. (laughs) So if I take away one protein and the... um, the black grass is now a cheap date.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, Then I can say that that one protein was sufficient to confer um, alcoholism. (laughs) Uh, And if I can put it back in. So, and then there's the other idea of it being necessary for it. So if I take a cheap date and I give it that one protein again, and it now suddenly can survive a lot more then that's, that's this, that's a, that's a necessary insufficiency sort of argument. So is this what you do on a day-to-day basis? Week to week, partly because this stuff all takes time, right? So um, blackgrass isn't exactly the, uh, the fastest of beasts. It's not like E. coli where I can start tonight and do the experiment tomorrow. So it does take a while for the plants to grow. Uh, it also takes a while for it's not like drinking where you have a drink and 20 minutes later we're dancing on the pool table. It's more that there's this long-term, you you have to spray the herbicide and then watch it die mm. because they're there they're the some of the herbicides are not really super fast acting. So um it is it is over a course of weeks. But what I'm doing, yes, on a regular basis is I'm taking blackgrass. I either have resistant blackgrass and I try and take away genes and figure out what how much do i take away before it goes back to being sensitive um, or i take sensitive blackgrass and i put stuff in and i ask which of those genes was sufficient to confer herbicide resistance so building on that how do you put genes in or take genes out so basically there's this technique called vigs and vox so vigs is virus induced gene silencing and so that's taking genes out out? silencing them yes Yes. and there's vox which is virus mediated overexpression, and collectively they are virus mediated gene expression techniques so there's lots of vegems vigs voxes there's lots of v's it's really complicated to to type actually Um, but basically the vigs allows you to take out specific genes by tricking the plant so when you're infected with a virus, your body reacts to that and says, Oh, that's a virus. I must fight it. And it mounts this immune response where the white blood cells come and they do their things. And, you know, we all know that bit. Um, but well, it, <laughs> I don't know. I, there, I was something, that. there was something back in me. <laughs> yeah. I sat in a lecture on that at some a point. Long time yeah. ago. Um, so, but you know, the way that you go and get a flu shot, right. And, what it happens? What happens is the flu shot goes in. Your body says, "Ooh, this is a bad virus," and it creates means by which to prevent that from happening. Because if the virus does come in, then your body can quickly attack it and prevent that from replicating. Okay, it's a slightly so. Plants have an immune system too. Plants do have an immune system. It's not like ours because they don't have blood that moves yeah. around stuff, but they definitely have immune responses. Because if you think about it, we can run away from stuff. Plants just sit there and go, okay, great. Some new thing biting on me. Some new <laughs> thing shading. So they have they have really intricate and very complicated immune responses, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they it's way, way, way bigger than I want to really get into. Mm. But um, the immune response is actually quite, quite, um, quite intricate because it means that when the virus comes in, the plant recognizes the virus particles instead of the coat; it recognizes the RNA. So it recognizes the fundamental genetics that make up a virus, and it, it recognizes it. there's proteins that bind to it, and then it takes these molecular scissors called dicer proteins, and it cuts it up into tiny little, pro, tiny little pieces, and those tiny little pieces then go and turn off everywhere um, where, that vir- where that RNA is. So it basically degrades the RNA that's coming from the virus in response to it being a virus genome. So that's really cool because it means that you can pretty much take a bit of the plant DNA and stick it into the virus. And then um, the plant thinks, "Ooh, this is virus because it has all the signatures of the virus. So if you imagine a little virus with a little leaf hanging off of it, if you were to be infected by that virus or if the plant was to be infected by that virus, that little leaf would get degraded as well as the rest of the virus. So you can trick it into, it's kind of like an autoimmune disease, right? Mm -hmm. So it thinks this is bad, I will turn it off, regardless of what Mm. it is. Oh,
1: so you're getting the plant. You're kind of using a virus to trick the plant into switching its own gene off. Absolutely, it's interesting because we what? mentioned
2: we mentioned genetic modification. This is not what I would normally think of. Uh, you're not talking about changing the DNA sequence of I'm the not. plant. You're talking about uh, changing the amount of times a particular gene is transcribed into a
3: protein Absolutely. or something like that. Yeah. So Great. this is preventing mRNA from becoming yes. protein by having the the immune response of the plant mm. tricked into degrading, degrading its mRNA. own mRNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah
2: okay that's that cool is that's really cool
3: lit I'm sure. <laughs> if we you didn't think i was this clever did you no
1: <laughs> so which I, I just want to know more yeah, about this now
3: so how do you get the virus onto the plant ah this is the fun bit that's yeah it's the super technical bit um, so, uh, there's two ways that I can explain this. I can either be very erudite and use clever words like inoculation and infiltration and things, or I can tell you that what I do is I, I make the virus in a different plant in tobacco then I take that tobacco leaf and I smash it into tiny little bits and grind it up into a pulp. And then I take that pulp and I actively rub it onto the blackgrass with my hands. So, but the equivalent <laughs> of sneezing in many ways. You're oh, kind yeah. of getting plants mush oh. and with make, the virus in. I and... make plants sneeze on each other. This is wow. what I do. Yes, I love that idea. Um, yeah. So basically, you um, you take. Sap that that contains the virus, and you then actively infiltrate you you inoculate the new the new plant with it by rubbing it on. Um, And so the best thing about this technology is that it doesn't require any sort of stable genetic modification. Mm. It's the presence of the virus that leads to the to the change in the in Mm. gene expression. So as long as you have virus in the plant, the gene expression happens. And as long as the virus can move either from plant to plant or within the plant, then the gene expression changes happen. Mm-hmm. The, um, that is, is really liberating because it means that you don't have to change that plant and that plant that doesn't have to breed and pass it on. It's the virus that's moving in. it, And viruses are really, really good at infecting plants and being sort of systemically moved around and, mm-hmm. and, and transferred from plant to plant.
2: Is in terms of modifying it so that it's no longer herbicide resistance, Mm -hmm. does that have an implication for the fact? I'm sure some people come and say, "Well, won't that mean that farmers will then just use more herbicide?" And aren't we trying to cut down on on that overall? I'm sure. um, fond of the ways. Is, are there? Is that a problem? Are there other ways we could modify, use the virus to screw blackgrass up in some other way? Um, I don't know. Just so
3: my background is actually as a seed biologist mm. and as a root biologist and as a circadian biologist. Mm. So as a consequence, yeah, I've only started thinking about herbicides really recently in my career. Mm. I actually started on blackgrass research, thinking what I'm going to do is I'm going to prevent blackgrass from making seeds because who cares if it's herbicide-resistant yeah, if yeah. it's only one generation? Yeah, like, we can't can deal with seeds. one generation. If they don't make seeds, the rest of it is irrelevant. Um, and that's still my definite, like, that's how I'm going to be famous. You're all going to say <laughs> I knew her when she just used to work on herbicide-resistance. But, yeah. I mean, that's really where I want to go with this project is um, because, herbs, you know, herbicide-resistance is super important, but mm. it's only one aspect of mm. the plant's life. Yeah. Um, so we were discussing the vigs gene silencing which is basically
1: um getting the plant to turn itself off yeah what was the vox, vox the
3: overexpression how does that work vox is a lot easier um so uh the vox is essentially take the car and put a track around the 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 wheels and turn it into a tank okay so now the car drives on snow it drives on mud it does really cool things you can you know you can look cool you can look really cool so Vox is the adding something new that wasn't there before. And the way that that works is you take the virus. so the way that viruses work is they come in as this little bit of, of RNA as their genome and they make proteins. they co-opt the, the the system of the the plant's transcriptional translational machinery and they make proteins, right? So they use that so they take their they take their RNA and they make proteins, the proteins then assemble into the virus capsid and then the capsid then, reassembles and it goes off and it infects more more plants right and that's just what viruses in plants do normally that's that's what viruses do that's what viruses do in plants that's what they do in animals that's what they do in insects they basically from rna to protein back to virus and then then repeat so what we do with vox is we essentially say okay fine you do your thing but in addition to making your own virus capsid and your own virus proteins also make this thing so here's the sequence. We stick it into the viral genome in the right context with the right promoters and such, such like. And basically the virus then delivers that into the plant. The plant then says, OK, fine, this is just a protein and it makes it. And ta-da, you've got a new, a new beastie.
0: So presumably that's you have to be very careful and to be very specific because otherwise, I mean, you don't want to accidentally put in a gene that makes it breathe fire. Or something like that. Lots Ooh, of plants that breathe fire. If I know a gene
3: that can make breathing fire, that would be awesome. But uh, yeah,
0: I mean, dragons are only a small a stone to throw away. If uh, you can do that,
3: isn't that a line from
1: Shrek?
0: <laughs> but dragons are only a stone throw away? Yeah, if you can I might make not. Maybe, maybe not.
3: <laughs> I think the um, yes, you do have to be careful. Um, so, <laughs> the first thing that I did with these ones was I took my blackgrass that's resistant to seven different herbicides and I made it resistant to eight. Because what I did was, um, my background as a as, as a geneticist meant that I only knew one herbicide before I started on this project, uh, and they hired me anyway. Um, but basically, I knew Basta, which is glyphosate, and essentially it is um, the one that I knew because. When you're making transgenic plants, usually a Arabidopsis, you take and you put the Basta gene in, then you spray all of your potential transgenic plants, and that's the one that lives. So, so Basta is just another herbicide? Basta is just another herbicide, but it's usually not used very often, except for in labs. But like, if you were doing this in E. coli, you would select for canamycin resistance or ampicillin resistance, right? Mm. So you take and you give your bacteria the ability to survive on something. So the something that usually is used in plants is Basta resistance. So I took the Basta gene, I put it in the Vox vector, I rubbed it on the plants, I sprayed them with Basta, and they survive compared to the controls.
1: And that therefore shows that your Vox approach works.
0: Works, yeah.
1: Yes. You can Which also... is a
3: pretty huge step. Yeah. The more fun <laughs> thing was I made them glow. So I also did it with GFP. <laughs> Which Show is on. even better. I know, but that was the best fit. So dead not dead again. And, so okay, phenotype glowing plants. GFP color. green fluorescent. I protein, have. Yeah. I have GFP black
1: grass. So that means that when you put it under a black light, it
3: glows
2: bright green. But Why not this- just make that? Make it easier for it to go and find it in the field and pick it out by hand. Right? That, uh, you're not the first person to suggest that. No, no I'm sure actually, not. yeah.
3: But um, I mean, it's actually yes. You basically you wear these special glasses. You have mm. a little torch. You shine it on. You can find them. Mm. Find them really easily. Nice.
2: We play a game at the end of every episode where we ask our guest to explain their science using only the most commonly used 1,000 English words, uh, and those are there on that piece of paper. So have a go, and we will have a go. Yeah. And, okay, uh, so you
3: want me to explain my science based yep, on these
2: using things. only those words. You can add, like ings and things on the end if it's if if yeah. the word work is on there you can make you can it into working or you know you can modify it okay. a bit um but you can't use words that aren't on there which is annoying because dna is not on there genes ah. proteins none of those words okay. on there because apparently people don't talk about those no. things and they
3: get flagged up in all sorts of whenever you're writing if you do these like word checker things yeah yeah
2: <laughs> okay does well, everybody think, have one
0: i guess danish probably kick us off shouldn't you yeah it? okay Dana, what with is the, with your... the definitive answer?
3: The definitive answer is I try to understand how we can control trees that grow in places where we grow food. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Oh yeah, there's That's big actually... trees in yeah, those yeah, fields, those man. Yeah.
2: If flat grass got to the size of a tree, would it be more or less of a problem?
3: You'd be easier to see it. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you can just take a chainsaw, <laughs> to it, right? Okay. Um, my
1: sentence was "teacher of all" or "teacher to us all." Ah, Aww. okay, that's very nice. Thanks, that's very nice. I couldn't be bothered to look for science <laughs> words.
0: I had "make bad tree less bad." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Excellent.
0: I went. I went for the scientific route. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: I kind of had two. One which is. How death water stops working.
3: Nice. So, Ooh, that's so, <laughs> that's yeah, good. yeah. Because
2: pesticides <laughs> are not on there, death right? Uh, uh, but then the other one was you uh, on the other thing that you only mentioned for one sentence. And I think if if enough people listen to this, that we do a second series, Uh-oh. then uh, invite you back to talk about how mini trees sleep. Ooh. You talked about circadian rhythms yes. in plants. So how how
0: how food sleeps. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> so that's my other one. Nice. All right tell your yeah. friends tell your family yeah, yeah. we want this like, yeah, like and
2: subscribe like and subscribe so that's it for another episode of the Science of feeding the world with me gary Furin i'm hannah
1: oh i'm goodbye i'm hannah i'm
2: hannah goodbye and today we've had dana <laughs> mcgregor thank you very much Thanks, for joining dana.
0: us you're very welcome you are listening to But what is that podcast? It's the science of feeding the world. Thank you very much for listening to the Science of Feeding the World podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe and share. And if you want to get in touch, please search for us at the Science of Feeding the World podcast on all your favourite social medias. And we'll see you next time.
1: Social medias?
0: (laughs) On all your favourite social platforms. Social media? (laughs) Okay, boomer. Media? I don't know. (laughs)